Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. With the launch of season four, I'm excited to share that we've created an online community so we can connect with you, our incredible listeners and guests. Head over to facebook.com slash made visible podcast community and join the conversation. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. Today's guest is someone who has dedicated her career to conventional and alternative medicine. Erica Matluck is a naturopath doctor, nurse practitioner, and holistic coach. She works with patients living with invisible illness on a daily basis. So welcome, Erica. Thank you. So happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. So let's start. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're from. I'm Erica. I'm from right here, New York. (laughs) Moved back about two years ago after being on the West Coast for over a decade And what I do, I work with people holistically, both in a retreat setting and in private practice, and through a lot of different lenses. So I'm a naturopathic doctor, a nurse practitioner. I have been a Reiki master since I was 19 years old. I did massage for over a decade. I have been studying yoga for many, many years, and... The list goes on and on, but really I bring in all of these different lenses and perspectives to look at health holistically. And I say health, but I would use the word almost synonymous with self. So self and health, growth and healing as kind of one and the same thing. So regardless of whether someone's coming to me because they feel stuck in their career or their relationships, which we traditionally kind of associate with more of a coaching type of practice, or someone's coming to me because they're stuck with an autoimmune condition or irritable bowel syndrome, which we typically consider more of a medical issue. I approach all of it with this like kind of 360 degree holistic lens. Love that so much. Can't wait to dig into it. So let's start. You mentioned that you started practicing Reiki when you were 19. Why? How? Why did you know about this? You know, I don't even know. (laughs) Um, To go back a little bit farther, when I was 11, we lost my mother to lung cancer. And I think that's really what planted the seed for me to be interested in, in healing. And cancer, particularly in the early 90s, it was a rough treatment to go along with as a young girl. A few years later, I had a boyfriend in high school whose father had been diagnosed with a different kind of cancer. And he ended up going down to a clinic in Mexico and doing these macrobiotic diets and IV nutrient therapy and all, you know, all alternative treatments. And he ended up going into remission. But this story really inspired me as a teen. And so when I went off to college and I, I was studying pre-med, but I majored in anthropology and really my interest was how do people around the world heal? 
there have to be other ways of doing this. I mean, we all know this, right? We know people have been using acupuncture for a very, very long time. And so my interest was really looking at this intersection of health and culture. And I did my undergraduate work in Oberlin, Ohio, which is not really where you would assume someone would hear about Reiki or Chinese medicine or Ayurveda or any of these things that we are all pretty familiar with today. And so I did this independent study with one of my anthropology advisors about exploring alternative medicine in the Oberlin community. And I started doing research on who's in town and what are they doing. And I came across a Reiki master. It's a really small town, but I knocked on her door and I said, I want to learn to do this. So and be- for those that don't know what Reiki is, can you explain a little bit about what it is? Yeah, Reiki is really a, a form of energy healing. And it's really based on the idea that the body is intelligent and energy has an intelligence. And by applying a little bit of intention to move energy in a healing direction, that that's exactly what will happen. Got it. And so you decided to do what with this person? So when I reached out to her, it just so happened that she was doing a class. I can't remember the timing, maybe a month or so later. And it was a weekend intensive. So I did the first level with her and then went out and practiced. And I was practicing on students. And I look back and it it seems so strange that I was in college and all my friends are partying. And I'm like, I do this healing touch work. (laughs) What did people think about it? I mean, were you doing it to your friends? Did your friends believe in it? Did they think you were wonky? Like, Well, if you know anything about Oberlin College, it's a pretty wonky place. So my friends were pretty open and interested and curious. I didn't start a business. I wasn't like charging people for Reiki sessions. But students around campus started hearing and people would come to me when they had you know, different types of health issues. And we would do a session. Wow, that's really wild. Yeah. And then I went on to do the level two with her and then the master training, which was more of a like over several months. And this is all while you were in college and you were studying to be pre-med. Yeah. And so what was that like managing that schedule for yourself? And then obviously, even if it wasn't a business, just sort of doing this and recognizing that you had something special. It wasn't so full time that it was a challenge, you know, and me today really resonates with your question. But back then, pre-med was just science classes, you know, and it was just college. And it was like I was showing up and I was doing the work and I was taking my tests and studying. And then, you know, some of my friends played sports and some of my friends had creative pursuits outside of classes and some had jobs. I actually did have a job too, but it was very part-time. And then this was something that I did on the side. And at that time, even though I was interested in the intersection of health and culture, I didn't really see how tied these two things were. I didn't really see how my pre-med trajectory and this Reiki healing trajectory were one day going to come together. They really didn't until very recently. And so how did you figure that out? 
Well, it's so interesting sitting here now and finally being at a place in my work where I've really been able to synthesize all of these different things that I've explored and studied and either used in my personal life or my professional life. But over the course of the two decades of this exploration and training and gaining knowledge and experience, I didn't really know what the synthesis was going to look like. And I didn't know if these things would ever come together. So back then, I found Reiki because I was curious. And it was a tool that I mostly used in my own life. I spent some time abroad after college. The next kind of step on my journey was massage school. And then the energy work and the massage worked very nicely together. It wasn't even a question. And then the next stop on my journey was naturopathic school and nursing school. And I pretty much put all of the earlier stuff aside. I put the body work, the energy, I put it on a shelf and I said, I'm going down a different path now. It wasn't really until after a decade of clinical practice in primary care, uh, doing integrative and conventional medicine where I started realizing that there's a place for those tools in the medical system. And then when I went out on my own, I went from practicing at one medical group where it was a large national group doing primary care and integrative medicine to a private practice where I now have a lot more time with people. And I started really being able to bring those other tools and perspectives into my work. And so what was your goal when you decided to put those things on the shelf and explore more of the naturopath route? Was it that you eventually saw it as a business and you wanted to sort of make something of this? Did you want to work for someone else? Did you want to do your own thing? What did that look like? No, it wasn't any of that. Truly where it came from was I was practicing massage and more and more people were being attracted to me for therapeutic massage, not like I just want to relax, but like I have a shoulder injury, I have a hamstring injury, and I could help them, but they had to keep coming back. And there was this part of me that really wanted to be able to help people in a way that they didn't need me anymore uh, for both of our growth, right? I don't want to see the same people forever for the entirety of my career, and I want them eventually to not need me. And I didn't feel like I was going to be able to get there with body work. I felt like there was a route that we weren't getting to. And that's why I went down the naturopathic route. I really went down that route because of the philosophy of the medicine and it being so focused philosophically on finding the root cause of illness. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big thing is that there's definitely a lot of listeners that are really geared towards the Western medicine and the conventional medicine, and that's what they know. And so I think some of these other things that we've discussed on the show, whether it's CBD or Reiki or acupuncture, just sounds out there to people. So what was it about being a naturopath that was intriguing to you and recognizing that you could help people as a whole? I think what really drew me to do naturopathic medicine as opposed to a medical degree or an osteopathic degree was the philosophy of the medicine. And the philosophy is really, 
I mean, there are a bunch of different aspects of the philosophy, but some of the things that it focuses on are the body does have the innate ability to heal itself. And whatever we are using with medicine, it is to kind of wake up that ability. I truly believe that that is true. Um, There's also a huge emphasis on the doctor being a teacher, which is a huge part of my work. I think that's probably the number one thing that I do. I don't just write people a script and send them on their way. I really want them to know why I think this is the path we should go down and I want their input. But the philosophy of naturopathic medicine is really about using the least invasive yet effective therapy for a condition. So if that's strep throat, that means a naturopath is still going to be prescribing penicillin because it's the least invasive effective therapeutic. But if it's something like irritable bowel syndrome, we are going to be thinking about dietary changes or stress management long before we'll think about a pharmaceutical. And what drew me to naturopathic curriculum was that the diagnostic training is still the same. So you're still going through all the same basic sciences, you know, dissecting the cadavers and the brains and learning the physiology and, you know, the same lab testing and and all of that kind of stuff. But the treatment tool bag is just a little bit different. So that's what really spoke to me. I wanted the scientific and conventional diagnostic tool bag with an additional set of treatment tools. Got it. That makes total sense. And so then you went on to work at One Medical, and you did some incredible work there. So tell us a little bit about what that was. Yeah, One Medical was a wonderful first landing pad for me. So after I had finished both my doctorate in naturopathic medicine and a master's in nursing, I moved down to San Francisco to join One Medical. I worked as sort of an integrative specialist there. So it was in a primary care environment. And what started happening over time was that all of the other doctors would refer people to me who either had conditions that don't respond well to the pharmaceutical model or didn't do well with a conventional treatment, potentially because of side effects, or perhaps they're just not oriented in that way. So I started acquiring a lot of patients with digestive issues, hormone imbalances, chronic fatigue, anxiety, depression, and then a lot of these kind of mystery diagnoses where we know that someone doesn't feel well, but we really can't figure out why. And it really requires thinking out of the box. So that was what I did with most of my time at One Medical Group. And then myself and a small team started building groups for people, mostly in the mental health department, but really leveraging community as a therapeutic tool. So what we find, which you probably find on this podcast, is when people don't feel well, they often feel really alone. And sometimes you go through so much trying to get a diagnosis and don't even get a diagnosis. And usually at the end of that process, people feel depressed and anxious because they don't really know what's going on in their body. And so what you find when you're the provider sitting behind the desk all day and talking to 15 people a day is that everyone feels alone, but everyone's actually having a very similar experience. So then I started doing a lot of work with groups, mostly around anxiety and stress, 
but understanding that stress is often manifesting as dizziness or lightheadedness or digestive issues. So, you know, the classic thing when someone has a bunch of symptoms and they go from doctor to doctor and then finally the doctor says, oh, it's just stress. And then people are like, okay, well, great. What do I do now? So we developed groups for these people. So not everyone had the same set of symptoms, but everybody in the group knew that something about their stress level was manifesting on a physical plane. And I really fell in love with group work and seeing how people coming together and realizing that they're not alone in their health struggles is actually some of the best medicine I've ever experienced. I love that. So how long were you at One Medical for? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. And what made you go out on your own after that? So One Medical was wonderful for me. And how I said earlier in our conversation where in the beginning of this journey for me, I really didn't know how I was ultimately going to synthesize all of these things. And I think I hit a point in my time at One Medical where I had that aha. And the first step was actually leading retreats. I started doing that before I officially left One Medical. But the first step was saying, I have more, actually. I have more knowledge and tools and skills that I'm bringing to the table right now. And how can I bring that in? I'd already discovered I loved working with groups. I also felt working in a clinical environment that nature was a missing piece. We know that when it comes to mental health, nature is huge. And so the first thought was, okay, I'm going to work with groups in some beautiful setting in the world and then bring in a little bit more of the gems I've learned from yoga and the energetics. And so that was kind of the first step. And when I led the first retreat in Tulum in 2017, I realized that like there was no other choice for me. I had to be working in a way where I could really bring in everything that, that I had acquired over my life and work in a way that felt truly holistic. Who were these retreats for? You know, marketing tells me that I should have a, a niche. <laughs> and yet yeah. I get in these situations and I'm like, these retreats are for everyone. And most people who come on these retreats are in some sort of life transition. And so we've definitely had people who are dealing with health struggles. Uh, we have people who are leaving jobs. We have people who are leaving relationships, starting relationships. But really, it's these moments in life where people are at a juncture and they can't see clearly. And what these retreats do is they create a container and a framework where it just becomes clear, like what the next step is. And the more that I've done them, really before I started doing the retreats, almost all of my work involved some physical illness. As I started doing the retreats, they've added to my holistic perspective and I've started to see how the mental and emotional and spiritual quadrants of health are equally responsible for steering us astray. 
And so what it really comes down to from my perspective now is whether someone is dealing with challenge or dysfunction or illness, let's call it, in their physical body, their emotional experience, their mind or their thoughts, or spirituality, which for me really is about meaning. Regardless of where that dysfunction is, the entire unit is affected. And I feel like my job is to both help people figure out where to start. What do we need to move to start moving the whole unit? Because what I find is if you're stuck in your health or you're stuck in your thoughts or you're stuck in your emotions or you're stuck in your life purpose or your meaning, you're probably stuck everywhere on some level. And so my job is to figure out whether it's on retreat and we're using tools like breath work to move the energy or yoga or group discussion, or it's in my office and we're ordering labs and responding to the results. My job is to figure out where do we need to start and how is this affecting you and the other three quadrants. So are the people that come to your retreats and or are private patients Are they people who have been through the ringer with lots of medical issues and don't have answers and you're like the last resort? Are you the first person that they're coming to? Is there a typical patient? In my private practice, yes. Most people that come to me in private practice have seen a number of providers. They often have files and files of labs that they're sending me in advance to look through. And I'd say most of them have had a somewhat difficult or negative experience in the medical system. So there's a lot of undoing of having been through the system and either not really feeling like they've gotten answers or feeling unheard. And those are mostly the people who come to see me in private practice. The retreats are different because in order to take a week out of your life to do this work, you need to have time, time and money, right? Because uh, we can't just kind of fit that around your schedule. So I think a lot of the people who are coming to our retreats are in a little bit more of a crossroads in life where maybe they're in between a job or they're in between a relationship or they prepared for this many months in advance to take the time off and all of that. Whereas in my private practice, people are usually coming to me because they're like, I don't feel well now. Right. And so what are the kind of treatments that you're providing to those patients? It really depends. It always starts with a really thorough review of what has been done. I am obviously a huge proponent of safety first. So first I'm like, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and making sure has every lab test been done? Like, I'm kind of double-checking their previous providers just to make sure nothing has slipped through the cracks, which oftentimes when you're jumping from specialist to specialist, that can happen. So it's usually a thorough review of what has been done. And then from a more holistic perspective, is there anything more that we want to test to look at this from a new lens? And if that's the case, then we're doing more testing. And based on what those tests show us, that will impact the treatment. I do a lot of work with people's diets, especially in New York. I find that oftentimes people 
have seen someone who has approached the subject of diet already but hasn't really given them the support or the guidance as to like how to actually make the changes in a way that's effective. I do a lot of education, so I like people to know if I ask you to make these dietary changes, when I expect us to see results, and at what point, if we're not seeing results, are we going to reroute and what I see us doing next. So I treat people how I would like to be treated, which is when I see someone, I'm saying, this is where we're going to start. This is where I see us going. So I kind of give them a roadmap. And then I'm realistic about how long it should take. So most people I'm working with, I'll say, I've worked with a lot of people who have had similar experiences. And in my experience, I expect us to see some change if we're on the right path in four to six weeks or whatever it may be, depending upon the condition. But I don't expect us to see the kind of results or meet the goals that you are trying to meet for six months or nine months. That's usually the time frame that I work with people in. It's really interesting, the whole education component, because I feel like that's something that most doctors are not doing. And they're just like writing a script and saying, here, take this thing. Hopefully it works, you know, and if it doesn't, we'll give you another drug. That's not all doctors, but I do think it's a lot of doctors. So I think the fact that you find the importance of education to be such a huge component of this to be really valuable. Do you find that people are coming to you and know a lot about what it is that you do? Or are you finding that you have to convince them or really educate them that this is going to help them? I don't think I have to convince them. I think at this stage in my practice, most people are finding me because they've either been referred by their medical doctor or they've been referred by another patient of mine. So it's always nice when you're at that stage in your practice because most of the people, by the time they're in my office, there's a degree of trust already. But I do have some people, so you attract people who are like you. And I'm an intellect, and my mind really needs to know why all the time, for better or for worse. So I educate people in the way that I would want to be educated, and that is that I want them to know why I'm making the choices I'm making, what I see their part being in the choices that we're making together, and that the plan feels good to them. Because quite frankly, if someone told me to make changes in my diet and they didn't tell me why, I would never do it. I wouldn't blindly trust someone like that. And I don't want people to give away their power and their health. I want people to feel empowered. And I want them to feel like they know why they're doing what they're doing. And that takes a lot of time. Yeah, and also trust. Mm -hmm. I think trust is a huge thing here. Uh, Last week, I saw a chiropractor slash kinesiologist slash acupressure guy that came from a friend that I trust and love and would, you know, let her tell me anything that I should do. I really, really trust her and believe in what she's gone through and her recommendation. And I saw this guy and he did some really sort of out there things and it was a weird experience, but I trust my friend and I've seen how she's been healed by this guy and many other people have been as well. So I left his office with $140 worth of supplements and homeopathic remedies and all this stuff. And I got them over a week ago and I haven't taken them yet. 
And there's clearly something for me that's going, I don't know if I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And my mom, who's really open to this stuff, is also skeptical. So that doesn't help me in any way because I trust her. So it's been this really interesting thing for the last week or so of going, okay, he seems legit. He's healed some people that I know personally, but something saying, is this the right move or is this harmful? And I don't know that answer. So with my situation or anyone listening who's been in situations like this, what would your recommendation be? If you were my patient, what I want is for you to call me right now because there is so much wisdom in this moment for you that you don't feel like this is the right thing. And what I would want to do is explore that with you because I really do believe from my experience there is undoubtedly a connection between our minds, our belief system, and our ability to heal. And if you are taking a bunch of supplements that you do not believe are therapeutic for you, they're not going to work. So this conversation is gold because in my practice, this actually really helps me understand what you feel safe with, what you don't feel safe with, what kind of education you need. It tells me that like in the moment, You're kind of just going with the flow with my expertise and my care. But when you walk out the door and you really sit with it, that's not necessarily how you feel. And that needs to kind of come into the care because some people, you know, it's like this in relationships. Some people, something happens, they're ready to get in a fight immediately. Other people, they need to kind of marinate on it for a day. And then they're like wait a minute, that doesn't feel good. And so this is a part of how you work. This tells me about how you heal, and this tells me about your mind-body connection. So rather than this being a thing that turns into me convincing you to take the supplements, this actually increases our therapeutic relationship because I get to understand you, and we get to negotiate What is a treatment plan that makes sense for my medical brain and my rational brain and my experience that also fits with your personal and worldview of yourself and your healing? I love that so much. I mean, it just keeps going back to the educational component, which I think so many doctors are not providing. And with this guy that I saw 20 minutes into our session, he goes, am I going too fast? Do you know, like, are you understanding what I'm saying? And I said, No, not really. But if you're going to recap it in the end, I'm good. And so he continued and he was spewing numbers and words and medical terms and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about here, but if you're going to recap and again, I trust this friend that's been going to this guy for years, I'm open to it. And I left totally open to taking these pills and these supplements. And then it's been a week and I'm going, all right, I guess I'm not so open to it, but I think it's such a great point that I've got to feel confident and empowered to take something like this and move forward with this or change my diet in a certain way and not just feel forced by this person that this is the route to take. If it doesn't feel right, doesn't feel right. And I've been through enough stuff with my health for so many years, basically my whole life, that why would I do something that I don't feel great about? Well, and I think that's a really important point. One of the things that's really foundational to my practice is that we are both experts. You are the expert in you. You've been in your body for decades. And I am the expert 
in people that are not you. That's what I bring. I bring experience working with thousands of people who are not you. And so maybe I can help you see some of the blind spots that you can't see having only lived and dealt with your own health. But where I think we've gotten things a little bit wrong in the medical system and the wellness industry is that the practitioner is somehow more empowered with knowledge than the patient or the client. And that couldn't be more far from the truth. The first visit I do with people is 90 minutes. And at some point in the visit, usually not in the beginning, but I reveal to them Throughout my career, I am astounded by how even people with these mystery illnesses, they tell me exactly what is wrong. Within the first five minutes of the visit, they know exactly what's going on. They may not have the medical terminology. They may not know which tests prove it or if there are tests to prove it, but they absolutely know what's wrong. And so somehow we've forgotten that that's power. And that when you go into a medical visit or a visit with a practitioner, you are actually the person with the information. I can't do anything without you telling me what it's like to be in your body. I can't look at you and run a bunch of tests and say, oh, you must have abdominal pain. Yeah. So it's really, I think, an important thing. You know, I hope all of your listeners and your community with this podcast can kind of reclaim the power of the patient a little bit. That's so huge. So what's your relationship with conventional doctors? It's great. I'm not anti-conventional medicine. I use it all the time. I'm a licensed nurse practitioner. I've been through the training. I spent the bulk of my career working with conventional doctors on either side of me. I've taught them mind-body practices. I've taught them about elimination diets. I think in medicine, there are a lot of fingers to point, and I think it's really unfair that they're pointed frequently at the providers. Most people who go into medicine go into medicine because they want to do good. They want to help people. They want to minimize suffering. Yet they end up holding, we all end up holding the weight that we don't know everything. And we live in a culture where we're expected to. And if we make a mistake, we get sued. And it's really not an easy job to be a doctor or a nurse or any healthcare provider. It's a pretty big deal. You know, if the provider orders too many tests, then the finger is pointed at them for being financially irresponsible. And then insurance doesn't cover something. You get a bill. You're furious at the provider for not telling you that this thing wasn't covered. Yet if they try and respect your finances and underorder tests and then something's missed, they get the heat for not catching the diagnosis. So I think it's really like a sad state of affairs right now. I have so much respect for everybody who goes into medicine. It is a tough job and requires endless compassion. So I think there are tons of people out there doing wonderful work. I love that. And I think that there's totally ways for it to be complimentary. I think that's the big thing here is that it doesn't have to be I'm an Eastern person or I'm a Western person. They can be combined if done properly. So if someone was interested in exploring naturopathic medicine or holistic medicine, 
what is their first step that you would encourage them to take? I think the most important thing for everybody's care is that they have someone that they trust. So, you know, there are people out there who are finding practitioners or healing modalities on the internet and just going for it. What is the most important thing to me is that people are safe. So ideally, people are being referred into these things or these things are being recommended by either their primary care provider or someone with some medical knowledge that they trust or, you know, a family member or a friend that has had enough experience that they can say, you know, this really worked for me and it could work for you too. I also think approaching every new practitioner as much as you can as if it's an interview because so these days I do a complimentary consult by phone with all of my new people and when I worked in conventional medicine I didn't get the opportunity to do that which you know the good thing is it I didn't spend a ton of my time doing these complimentary calls trying to figure out if it's a fit and The unfortunate piece of that is sometimes you work with the people that you're actually not the best fit for, and that's usually not the best thing for someone's healing process. So I really like this structure in my practice, and I think a lot of people do it, where you get to have a 15 to 30-minute call with the practitioner first and interview them. Like, does this person... Are they going to listen to me? Do they seem to have experience with the things that I'm dealing with? And what are some questions that someone might ask? I tell all my patients, when you're about to work with a new practitioner with some modality that you're not familiar with, ask them, have you worked with this type of thing before? And if so, how many sessions or visits or how much time in your experience should it take before I see results and get to my goal? And they might say, you know, given this and this, I'm not really sure, but they should be able to give a little bit of an explanation based on their experience. And what I say is if you interview someone and they can't provide you any guidance on that, find another practitioner. Right. It's not the right fit. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing here is that it's clear how passionate you are in the work that you do. And having all these different modalities that you've explored and figuring out how to pull them all together and help people in the ways that are most beneficial to them. So how can people learn more about you, your private practice, and obviously these amazing retreats that you lead? They can go to my website, which is www.experience7senses.com. It's all written out. And uh, there's a good amount of information on there then if they're interested, they can book a complimentary consult. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram and join our new online community, facebook.com slash Made Visible Podcast Community. 
special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Grisillo for the design.